The church at Ross Bridge is a bridge to belonging, believing, and becoming in Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoy this message and visit our website at rossbridge.church. I was seven years old and it was the summer between my first and second grade year when my family moved from Valley, Alabama, about 30 minutes from Auburn, down to a little small sleepy town in southeast Georgia called Waycross. I started school that August, and I remember clearly the first day of school because my father had given me that slick comb-over hairstyle, and I had my little backpack with my lunchbox, and my mother had dressed me in teal pants. (laughs) Somewhere there's a photo uh, to verify all of this. I was so scared, like any child would be, to walk into a new school, and I made my way into the classroom, and our teacher directed me to my desk, and then she greeted everyone, good morning, class, my name is Mrs. Carr. I'm so glad you're here in second grade. I want to read out the role to make sure everybody's here. Now, as soon as she said that, I began to get anxious because I didn't know, is she going to call us by our first and last name or is she going to call us by our first, middle, and last name? I was four or five names in because my last name begins with a C and sure enough, full thing, right there in front of God and everybody. Nathan Leslie Carden. I could hear a couple of my classmates begin to snicker. And my face turned about 14 shades of red. And I remember at some point going home, either that day or a few days later after my friends were beginning to tease me about my middle name and saying to my mom, like, why in the world did you give me a girl's middle name? And of course, my parents had their reasons and they shared them with me. But it was difficult because I was a little bit sensitive when that long list of names was being read that I was being outed as somehow a girl in my, by, the, by virtue of my middle name. And my, my, camp, my friends kept ribbing me about that all throughout elementary school. Anytime they were trying to, to uh, get under my skin or they got frustrated with me at the game or at the lunch table they were making fun, they would always say, oh yeah, Leslie. And I was just forced to deal with it. Welcome to All Saints Sunday. Every year on the first Sunday of November, the worldwide church celebrates and recognizes the role of saints. Now, I I admit this morning, I think there's a a fair amount of confusion about really what are we doing when we say we're recognizing all saints. We're not one of those traditions that prays to saints. In fact, I don't think you'll find a statue of any saint anywhere in this building and certainly not in most Protestant churches. We're not one of those folks down in Latina cultures that might dress up with elaborate paint and join a parade down the middle of the street in Mexico City or elsewhere for Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead. The reality is that in the Protestant tradition, and for our purposes today, we celebrate all saints because we owe a debt to those we follow who followed Jesus before us. Now, of course, all of us are trying to follow Jesus, but here's the reality. I am so far (laughs) in my behavior from the level of behavior Jesus displayed. There's sometimes I kind of just want to throw up my hands and think, you know, I'm never going to get there. And so it makes it unrealistic to me to sometimes want to try. But if I can think about and identify people who've walked a few steps ahead of me along the journey as they are following Jesus, all of a sudden it becomes much more concrete and attainable to begin to model my behavior after that of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to know this morning, I hope, I just want to give you a word of of forgiveness. If you weren't particularly moved by the scripture this morning, it's okay. In fact, Eric drew the short straw. (laughs) 
having to read one of the most challenging passages in the New Testament in terms of just being able to pronounce all that long list of names. I chose Eric because if anybody needs extra credit to get into heaven when he dies, <laughs> it's Eric Baswell, and I just wanted to do you a solid. And <laughs> you are, you're good. You're good. It's this long list of names, 24 or so in total. Now, Paul just lays them out there at the end of this book of Romans, which is by most scholars' estimation, kind of his magnum theological opus. It's the greatest theological treatise that he will write. But here in chapter 16, it's almost like he takes a detour, chases a rabbit a little bit. It's almost like Paul is calling the role of names in the congregation at Rome. Now, in just reading that to you this morning, I broke a, a preaching rule. I mean, one of the things they tell you in seminary, stay away from those long lists of names. They start in Genesis, and so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so, and by like three lines in, your eyes are glazing over. It continues throughout the Old Testament, that historical genealogy, so we can trace the ancestry of Israel's leadership. Even in the Gospels, in Jesus' own life, it begins in two of the Gospels by offering a lineage, long lists of names, mostly male, but some female, especially in the lineage of Jesus. And here Paul picks up the tradition too. And it makes me wonder, like, what, what's the point of all this? Because here's the thing. The Bible is a complex book. The Bible has, as you know, 66 books in it, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. That makes up, if I can find it in my notes, 1,189 chapters, 31,102 verses. But we're still left with a lot of questions. There's a lot of stuff the Bible doesn't address. There's a lot of gray where we have to use our interpretive skills to decide what Christians should think about things. For instance, I mean, we don't know what the Scripture says about some social issues, stem cell research, or the ethics of fossil fuels, or nuclear technology, or any of those things. The Bible's unclear, but yet they take up time to give us a laundering list, a, a congregational mailing list, if you will. The reality is that it's not very interesting. There's a husband and wife, Aquila and Priscilla. There's a son and mother, Rufus, and his mother. She doesn't even get a name. There's a brother and sister, Nereus, and his sister. Also, she isn't named. There are two siblings, Andronicus and Junius, which is interesting that they give them both male names because they're named as apostles, apostles but in the original Greek, Junius is actually in the feminine form. Could there have been a female apostle? There are twin sisters in the Greek, Trophina and Trophosa, most likely identical twins. There's an old man, Epinatus, a single woman, Mary, a single man, Herodian. There's no nuclear family. There's no qualifications other than the, the brief context that Paul might or might not give us about each in particular name. The Bible doesn't answer a lot of the direct questions that we have of a text like this. And I have to tell you, I think this is much, much more than just a list. I owe my understanding of this long list of names and the, imp the importance of it for us in the 21st century, to Dr. Fred Craddock, who died just a few years ago. And in a teaching of his that I sat under, and in a sermon that I heard later, he helped open my mind to the power that resides in the 16th chapter in the 24 list, or list of 24 names. The Apostle Paul has never been to Rome when he, meets, when he writes this. In fact, he's probably writing it from the city of Corinth. This ancient map of the New Testament world, you can see Israel there in the bottom southeast corner. There toward the middle, just a little bit on the left, you see an orange or red oval. It is there we find down toward the southern tip of Greece. 
the city of Corinth, a port city, a very cosmopolitan and diverse city because of all the trade that ran through there. Paul is likely there around 60 years old, and he writes to a church that resides in the northwest under the green oval, the church at Rome. Now, if Paul's never been to the church at Rome, how is it that he seems to know so much personally and have personal relationships with this list of names that he offers in the 16th chapter? The reality is that over in modern-day Turkey, on the eastern side of uh, Turkey, is the city of Ephesus. And Paul likely worked and visited among the church in Ephesus, and then some members of that church went and helped start and establish the church at Rome. Paul knows that he's about to take a trip. He's about to leave Corinth. He thinks it's probably his last one. He's in his 60s, and in that day and age, life expectancy is not what it is today. He plans to go up through Rome on his way to Spain, into Western Europe. And Paul writes them, he asks them to gather an offering together. And then you almost get this sense that Paul has got a packing list of things. He's getting ready for his journey. And he begins to pull out, you know, the old suitcase out of the closet. And there on the top shelf of the closet, when Paul pulls out the suitcase, this box of memorabilia begins to fall out. And Paul remembers, in the middle of writing this letter, all the unique memories he has, having served alongside of those Christians he named, some of them probably for years. He probably sits down among the boxes and begins to go through old photographs. He begins to look through those little gifts and mementos that they left him over time. And Paul then, perhaps with a heart full of gratitude and maybe even emotion, sits down at the papyrus at the scroll and begins to pin out, send my greetings to these names. He says, talk to, tell Aquila and Priscilla that I greet them. Paul says, they risked their necks for me. Let me ask you something. You ever had your back pinned against a wall and had somebody that stuck up for you and was loyal with you in a moment of adversity? You don't forget it, do you? Paul says, Greet Andronicus and Junius. We served jail time together, forging a relationship in the circumstances of oppression. Mary, he says, Mary who worked very hard among you. That's all he says. Mary who worked very hard among you. You've known a Mary. I have too. Mary's the one that stays late, wipes down the tables, walks through and picks up the used tissues with which people have wiped their noses. Never asks, never seeks permission, simply says, you've got to get home to your family. I'll close up tonight. Trophina and Trophosa, identical twins. I envision them as sitting in the same exact seats every single Sunday. They had their, their, their pew, second pew, third section there on the left. Hopefully one of them had some identifying mark or perhaps a mole on their face so that he could tell them apart, but he remembers Trophina and Trophosa. He talks about Rufus and his mother. He says, tell Rufus hello and tell his mother hello. Why? Because she was like my mother too. Can't you see a knock on Paul's door? Mother of Rufus there, Paul, give me your laundry. I'll iron your shirts. If you're going to be standing up in front of the congregation and speaking, you better look more presentable than you did last Sunday. And he says, no, you don't really have to do that. She says, bring me your laundry. And he does. This is much more than a list. In January of 2013, I went to a church conference in Washington, D.C. I spent about three and a half days there, and one afternoon we had free, and so I decided to make the monument tour by foot. I went to the Washington Monument, 
walked down to the Lincoln Memorial, went to the memorial to Thomas Jefferson, and then I walked down to the Vietnam War Memorial. Some of you have been there. Like one long black granite headstone. I noticed as I was standing there taking in the immensity of the, the, the loss that that monument represented. I saw some people run by jogging. Saw others that were walking their dogs. Some people were talking with a friend. They were in suits and with briefcases. They seemed like they were on their way to somewhere important. But there were others. There was one lady that walked by and she picked up a young child. And she took that child's finger and ran it across one of the names. Some lady walked up and kissed a name on that wall. And then she placed a wedding picture down on the ground beneath it. There were fresh flowers and candles that were burning underneath someone's name. Don't you know that that memorial is much more than just the list? When we left Gainesville First Methodist in 2008, after having been there from 2005, my first full-time job in a church. Earl Parker, the pastor who hired me, is here this morning. It was the poorest decision he ever made. I had almost no experience, and he took a risk on me. When we left three years later at our going away reception, they gave us, some members of the church gave us a little collage of photographs from our time there. I looked across this yesterday and I remembered some of those names. I see up here a note from Scott and Beverly Grissick who approached me and said, Scott and I, we're empty nesters now, and we feel like God wants us to provide a meal every Monday night for any college or graduate student in the church. We'll host a meal, won't cost anything, we'll cover the cost, and then we'll have a Bible study together. And that grew, grew to, um, group grew to almost 30 people. I look at this list and I see Wesley Emanuel, who was a construction, construction project manager, who learned when our 1928 little A-frame shotgun wood frame house was beginning to sag in the middle of the house because the primary structural beam was eaten up with termites said, well, clear your calendar for Tuesday night. I'll show it with my tools. We'll get it fixed. And he crawled with me on his belly in the 18-inch of crawl space underneath the house. In the darkness, we could feel the bugs crawling over us. And with flashlights, we had to jack and the tools and the materials, and we jacked the house back up and fortified it to repair it. I look in the middle of the picture of the men's golf tournament, and I see Peter Ward, an attorney in the church, who had been raised in the church but had been gone for a couple of decades and by the time he came back was so overwhelmingly grateful for the grace of God to accept him again and to forgive him. We could not sing a hymn in that church without Peter turning into a hot mess, a total puddle, just tears streaming down his face. When we shared with the church that we were moving away and I was returning to seminary to become an elder in the Methodist church, Peter pulled me aside and said, my wife and I really feel like we need to support you in what you're doing. I know you've got a young family now, a new baby, and so we're going to send you a check once a month for eight months, the first eight months that you're there. He accompanied those checks with a personal letter of encouragement and wisdom, all of which I still own. It's much, much more than just a set of pictures. It's much, much more than just a list. Who is it for you that pops into your mind's eye when you begin to wonder, who is it that I remember who embodied the grace of Jesus Christ to me? 
I want us to share those this morning. And so it's going to be a little bit awkward. Don't worry, the person next to you is just as awkward. You can both be mad at me. Do you see that face or that name that pops into your mind? I want to encourage you to turn to someone to your right or your left. Maybe name who that person is. And maybe in just a simple one-sentence description, share the difference you feel they've made. Let's share that this morning. For some of you, this has been a parent, a grandparent, a sibling, perhaps a minister from days gone by, a school teacher, a neighbor, someone from college, a childhood friend. We all have someone that pops into my mind. I want to encourage you this week to make your own list. I want you to make a list of five to seven names of the Christians who have personally, personally influenced your life for the good. And next to their name, identify a word or a couple of words that captures their best quality. Maybe compassion, or loyalty, encouragement, generosity, whatever it may be. Display the list in a prominent place in your daily routine. Refrigerator door, bathroom mirror, next to your computer screen at work. When you see those names, breathe a simple prayer, th prayer thanking God for their impact. And then asking God to instill the same kinds of virtues in you. I think if my parents were here today and they were to make this list, they would include on their list Leslie Robinson, who was, the pa who was a church member, an old farmer in a church that my father pastored when he was a young man in southern Alabama. It was a country church, and just like out of a Norman Rockwell painting, Leslie and his wife would invite my parents kind of taking them under their wing, treating them like their own children, over to their house on Sundays where they would literally fry a chicken from their own chickens on their farm. And they loved them and encouraged them. And when it was my turn to be born, my parents wanted to honor them by giving me his name. My mother told me that after I complained about the, the picking and the, the fun my friends were having with it. The next time my friend made fun of me, I didn't like it. But I really didn't feel like I needed to apologize for it anymore. Because I knew the significance that that name bore for my family. So take that list you write. And I want to encourage you. Keep it with you somewhere. There'll be another name or two that you add to it over the years. Keep it close. Put it in a memory box. Put it someplace where you treasure valuable things. And you know what? If you can see death on its way to meet you, keep it close. Because when you cross that mysterious threshold into the next life and you're standing before the pearly gates and St. Peter walks up, keep it in your hand. Now, St. Peter may just say to you, look, you, you were born with nothing. You brought nothing into the world. You can't take anything in. Let, let me have that. And you say, oh, it's really nothing. You put your hand behind your back and he says, turn it over. And you turn it over. And he says, what is this? Just a list? And he'll say, well, wait a minute, I know every one of these names. In fact, when I heard you were coming, I'm on my way down here, I passed them all on the street. Some of them were standing on ladders, and they had a sign they were stringing across the street that says, Welcome Home. Thank you, God, for the immeasurable impact that other Christians have had upon us. My prayer today, Lord, for our church is that we would be so habitual in practicing our faith that one of these days beyond our time, someone may sit in one of these chairs 
and when asked to make a list, they may very well include our name upon theirs. Pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. The church at Ross Bridge is located in Birmingham, Alabama and helps people find abundant life in Jesus Christ.